Come on, you can do better than that. Bienvenue. Nous commençons une nouvelle série de sermons soir. Mais il sera en anglais. B minus, B minus. All right. I had a commitment I had to keep that I was going to open tonight's sermon with, with, with a, a statement in French, which was, we're starting a new sermon series tonight, but it's going to be in English. So, good. All right. I'm a man of my word. People are going, did I come to the wrong service? Is there different services for different languages? So, so I, this isn't my cheat sheet either. This is actually a Bible. So I wasn't reading. I was like, all right, yeah, I know, I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on my French. My last name's Michaud, so I have to, you know, I've got to step up my game. So if you weren't here last week, then you can't appreciate why that's funny. So, all right. Hey, you know, this is going to be a great launch to a sermon series. And I think we might get to some of that tonight. But during our, um, our worship time, I just felt like God dropped some things in my heart that I want to just share. The first one is this. Hey, let me just, this is, I plan to say this. And I have two things that God really put in my heart. The, the, the first one, I just want to say, you know, if, if you have made a decision to get involved financially here at the City Life Church, we just want to say thank you. I was praying this week just for the finances of our church. We've got a finance team meeting coming up and so I was just thinking about how just last month this auditorium was filled with hundreds of teenagers uh, we live as kings was up here on the platform just doing an amazing work. I know come on it's our annual event uprising and uh, and we would not be able to put events like that on if you weren't financially invested here at the church we want to be able to subsidize events like that if you could have been here that night and seen the line of young people that were making their way back to the prayer room because they made a vow of devotion to Christ those things are possible because you're financially invested here and so we just want to say thank you and we're just going to keep bringing some thank you moments and highlighting some different ministries of the church to say because of you because of your generosity those things can happen so so a couple of things I just want to I want to share that I felt like I put on my heart you know I love that there at the end. I, you know, I have to be careful about what I'm doing during the last song because there's hand signals. Did you know that? That I'm giving and or they're looking down and so two of the things that I love to do when I worship, but I do this with my hand. I don't know why, I just do. I'm weird. So you have weird things that you do when you worship. We all do, right? And so this and this means keep going. So if I'm not, so in the last song, and this is another thing, I'll, I'll stand with my fist clenched like this because I just, I've, you know, just again because I'm odd. So, but this means stop. So I have to be careful because they'll look down and they're stopping when they're supposed to be going or keep going. So during the last song, I just have to put my hands in my pockets to make sure I'm not giving signals that I'm not. But I love right at the end of the worship set where Stephanie was just following the prompting and leading the Holy Spirit and just invited people to come down to the altar. Was that not good? That wasn't a, there's so many unscripted moments in our service and, and I just people just began to come and, 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 and some of you, you missed your moment because you wanted to be up here and you didn't come. And we're just saying the next time that invitation, you should, and you don't even have to wait for an invitation. Jenna was up there, right? Even before the invitation came, if you feel that God just tugging on your heart you just got to trust in those moments and so one of the things I loved is that Lindsay was up here and so her son was asleep right in, in in her arms and so he was asleep when she came up and they and she knelt right here and he woke up as she knelt down right if you could have seen the look on his face it was priceless right because he was going when I fell asleep I was over there like he's missing a flip-flop and he's all groggy and he looks up and he sees and, I, and I'm waiting what's he gonna do right is he gonna say something is he gonna cry and you, what do you know what he did he just fell right back to sleep yeah you know why because he was in his mother's arms so so I saw that picture and I thought what a picture for some of you here tonight 
you're in a place in your spiritual journey, you feel groggy, you feel like you're missing a shoe, right? And, 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 you, and you've kind of woken up in the place that you are and you're having this conversation with God. God, how did I get here, right? And, and you have a decision that you can make in that moment. You can panic, you can get angry, you can get upset, or you can rest in the arms of the creator of the universe. Isaiah 26.3, we spent a lot of time talking about that verse when we were doing the Mayhem series, that you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so I just, if that's you, if you just feel in a place where you're in a spiritual funk, you feel groggy, you're in a place where you're having a conversation with God, I, how did I get here? Or maybe you're, you're having a conversation with God, I don't think I'm supposed to be here, right? That, that you signed up for this, and now you're over here and maybe you're a little upset, you're a little angry, maybe you feel like God has betrayed you. I'm just telling you, there is something happens when you and your heart just submit yourself to his sovereignty. When you, even if the place that you're in, you got there through your own foolishness, you still find rest and peace in the arms of the creators. Does that make sense? Because he finds you there. So whether or not you're there because he got you there, or whether you're there like the prodigal son because you ran from him, there's a place where you can come home to him, and sometimes that doesn't change your circumstances, but it does something inside of here, and you can just rest in the peace of knowing that you're in the hands of a loving God. You with me? All right, so I got, I got another one. So this is... Um, this is out of Mark chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Mark chapter 2. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now some men came, verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I, what I want you to know, Jesus says, come on that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's a powerful story, isn't it? It's a true story. It happened. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's, it's, it's history that's given to us in the Bible. And I, I think one of the things we like to use this phrase all the time here at City Life, we read those stories in the Bible not because we want to, to, to say to ourselves, oh, I 
wish I had lived back then and could have seen those things happen, right? We, we read those things in the Bible not because we kind of wax poetic about what once was one day and we just kind of, you know, just you kind of continue on in this life going, wow, if I could have been born a few centuries before or a few millennia before, maybe I could have. No, God puts those things in the Bible because he wants to awaken something inside of us to create a sense of anticipation that, hey, these things can happen even in our world today because God's not changed. He's the same. And, and one of the things I felt like God spoke to me as we were worshiping and I was thinking about the story and thinking about this text is when I'm reading the Bible like that, I love to think about the people that aren't mentioned in the story, right? I love to think about the people that were in the story and we're not told anything about. We're not told anything about the people who owned that home, right? Like we're hoping that when everybody left, they weren't saying, I can't believe they dug a hole in my roof, <laughs> right? You know they weren't saying that, Right? You know when they woke up the next day, they were excited about having to fix that hole because that hole represented something remarkable that had taken place in their house. You know for the rest of their lives, they would walk around going, yeah, this was our house. It happened right here, right? People are walking by. And how about people that left that place? It was a crowd, right? We know that there were lots of people there because if they had to go to the extent of cutting a hole in the roof to get the paralyzed man through, we know that there were so many people. We're not told the names of those people, but I'm telling you, every one of those people had a story to tell for the rest of their lives. Every one of those people spent the rest of their lives saying, hey, remember that day we were at that house and Jesus caused that man who had never walked his whole life to walk? They had a story to tell. I'm sharing that with you because I felt like during worship that some of you here, you've been having a conversation with God, and one of the things that you've been saying to God is, God, I'm just, I'm tired of hearing all these stories about people who experience these wonderful things, and I never experienced those types of things, and I feel like one of the things that God wants to say to you tonight, if you want to be a part of the story, you've got to be present in the moment. If you want to be part of the story, then you've got to be present in the moment. Every one of those people on that day made a decision to come. Every one of those people on that day made a decision to make something a priority. Every one of those people were just as busy as you and I are today. Every one of those people had responsibilities just like you and I have. Every one of those people have priorities and demands and life roles that were tugging them this way and that way. But every one of those people made a decision to be present in the moment and because they were present in the moment they had the joy of being part of the story and so I'm just pressing you tonight because I feel like God has put this on my heart that when you look at things like life groups some of you here you've not signed up for a life group if you want to be part of the story you've got to be present in the moment for some of you, the men's getaway, it's come and gone and you weren't there. You were supposed to be there. And you're, you're not a part of that story because you weren't present in the moment. And, and so I hope that in tonight hearing me say this to you, that you don't feel a sense of condemnation, but you feel a sense of conviction that says, next time I'm not going to let those opportunities pass me by. We think about the marriage getaway. I'm telling you, amazing things happen in people's lives if we're just willing to be present in the moment. You will not be a part of the story until you choose to be present in the moment. Now, this is the other part of the story. There are other people that aren't here tonight. They're not present in the moment because we've not been faithful in getting them here. That's part of the beauty of this text is that this person could not get there on their own. It took four friends to do it. 
And you might look at that story and say, I don't know anybody who's paralyzed like that, who doesn't have a way here. You know people every day of your life who are paralyzed spiritually. It's one of the reasons why Jesus started with the forgiveness of his sins before he told him to get up and walk. Because what he wanted us all to understand is that all of us come into this life on a mat paralyzed by sin. And until God forgives us, then we remain that way on the inside. And so you're surrounded by people every day who are supposed to be a part of the story, but they're not present in the moment. And the reason they're not present in the moment is because we're not being faithful of doing our part to get them here. Does that make sense? These guys, that they came, it would have been much easier for them to come by themselves. It would have been much easier for them to just show up. It would have just been much easier for them to not have any commitments after the fact. Now, their commitments after the fact got a little bit better because God moved, right? They didn't have to carry this guy home. But they came with the expectation, right, that God was going to heal. But they also came with the commitment, if he doesn't, we're going to carry him back to his house. There's a part of us as we're leading up to things like the marriage getaway, whether it's the, 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 the marriage retreat, the men's getaway, or whether it's weekend services or life groups, that, that you should be praying, God, who are the people that I'm supposed to be a friend to? Who are the people that I'm supposed to say, come with me? Who are the people that I'm supposed to say, you can ride with me? Who are the people that we're supposed to say, I'm going to make it possible for you to come? You might know people who they can't come because of their financial situation, and God's speaking to your heart, well, Buy their tickets for them and give it to them as a gift. That's your way of carrying them to a place so that they can be present in the moment, so that they can be part of the story. All of us here tonight are supposed to be part of all kinds of stories. That if God were going to write another Bible, which he's not, but he is writing, maybe it's figuratively or maybe it's just literally, but the Bible talks about there being books in heaven. The Bible talks about in Psalm 139 that there's a book for your life. There's a book for my life. There's volumes that he's dreamed. And, and I think part of what he's writing are stories that we're supposed to be a part of. But at the end of the day, the only way that we're going to be part of those stories is if we're present in the moment. So, Father, I, just, I pray for every person that's here. Every person that's here tonight. And, Father, let's, let's start by praying for the person that's in a place and they just, they feel like that it's not what they signed up for. They're missing a shoe, they're in a funk, they're feeling groggy. Could it be God that tonight, just right now in this moment, the feeling that came over that young man in his mother's arms that enabled him to just slip away into a slumber, Father, let that peace come upon every person's heart right now in Jesus' name. Every person that's in this room that needs to have that sense of peace. Every person that's in this room that needs to have that sense of comfort. Every person that's in this room that just feels dislodged and displaced and out of sorts. That the same emotion that flooded that young man's heart, that it's going to flood every heart that's here. And they're going to say, I am at rest and I am at peace because I rest in the hands of a sovereign God who is my heavenly father. And Father, I pray for every person here who's just not done a good job of being present in the moment. And because of that, they have not been a part of the story. That, Father, you're going to help them rearrange their priorities. You're going to help their commitment level change, God. That, that you're, whatever has kept them from engaging, that they're going to set that thing aside. 
Paul, just like you inspired the Apostle Paul to talk about setting aside every sin that so easily entangles that they're going to run the race that's been set before them. That if they're not in a life group, they're going to be in a life group. If they're not, not signed up for something for the Oktoberfest, they're going to sign up for something for the Oktoberfest. If they're not coming to the marriage retreat, they're going to go to the marriage retreat. They're going to bring somebody with them. God, Not because we're trying to build a list of events, because we know, God, that in those places, stories happen. People's lives are changed. That you want us to know the same joy that these people in this text that they knew as they walked out for the rest of their lives. They say, remember that time, remember that day. You want those kinds of words to fill our conversations with each other. For our memories to be overflowing with times where we saw you move in our lives and in the lives of people around us in the only way, God, that we can ever have the hope of being a part of that story if we're present in the moment. May it be that we would be a church, the City Life Church would be a, a church of people who are present in the moment because we have an anticipation, because we have an expectation, because we have a faith and a belief that when we come, that there is a story that's being written and we want to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together. Amen. All right, we got some time. Circle Maker. This is a great book, right? Come on. This is a great book. Life Group. If you don't have this book, I'm telling you, it can be, be the beginning of your journey of prayer. You know, one of the things I like this book is it's not so much a book about teaching. It's one of the reasons why I picked this book. It's, there's, there's books that we pick that we're going to learn a lot through. There's books that we, that we pick because they're, they're intensively teaching. But then there's books. One of the things I like about this book, it's like a, it's like a biography of Mark Batterson's journey as a person of prayer. It, it's about the story of his life and about what he, he's experienced. It's, he's a great writer. It's like a narration of this journey of life that he's been on as a devoted follower of Christ. And he's sharing his story with us. And so if you don't have this book, I'm telling you, you need to pick it up. You can get it online. If you don't know how to do that, we'd love to help you. But that's a great book. That series is going to take us all the way up through. This series that we're launching tonight is going to take us all the way up through the weekend right before Thanksgiving. And then the weekend right after after Thanksgiving, a good friend of mine, Pastor Rob Shepard, who's the pastor of Next Level Church that meets in here on Sunday afternoon, he's going to be preaching at both campuses that weekend. He just came out with his first book, so I'm going to give him a plug for that, that says, even if you were perfect, someone would crucify you. So stop trying to please people and start pleasing God. That's a great title, isn't it? So you need to pick that up right here if you need to come look at it. So you can order that online. So this is his first book project that he's ever done, but he's a great writer as well. So I wanted to give him a plug for that. So, so, so this, this series that we're launching tonight, Circle Maker, it's a series on prayer. It's not, it's not going to follow the book, but the book is, is just igniting this theme of prayer in our hearts. And my, and my great hope, my prayer for myself and for you, is that by the time we get to the end of this series, that the volume of prayer, not as in a decibel level, but as in an amount, the volume of prayer that's flowing out of our lives is going to increase. That the amount of prayer that comes out of us is going to multiply. That's my hope, is that, 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 that prayer as a, as a pathway is, is going to become a more prominent part of your life, and it's going to become a more prominent part of my life. So we like participation here at the City Life Church, and so, so what are some things, what are some things in your life that you always find yourself, you just keep coming back to, like paying taxes, right? You just keep coming back so that you can't get away from it. What are, what are some things, good, negative, but you just always find yourself coming back to these things? What are some things like that, Lindsay? Doing 
Being judgmental. Come on, that's good. Right? Don't you love authenticity? Are you just me? Come on. Everybody's silent on that one. Because you know it's all true for yourselves and myself as well, right? Like, ouch. All right, somebody else. What's something else that you keep coming back to? Keep coming back to. Juice. The refrigerator. Yes, come on. Anybody else? The pantry. How about a restaurant? Anybody have a restaurant you just keep going back to? What are some other things that you keep coming back to in life? You, you, you go, you, you leave, but then you come back. What are some other things? Anybody? Any hands? Chick-fil-A. Nathaniel? Say it again. Your driveway. Yes. Come, no, that's, that's it. That's what we're looking for. Tim? The beach. Sabra? Target. Tight. Yeah, let's say that one really loud. No, I'm just saying. She said tithing. Tithing. Yeah, come on. Generosity and giving. Matt? Your job. Yeah, come on. A couple more. What's something that you keep coming back to? She, did you hear what she said with grumbling? Football, right? <laughs> Not football, but football, right? right? She keeps getting dragged back to that because I keep going back to it, right? April. Unloading and loading the dishwasher, right? We, we get it. We understand it, right? There are things in life, right? There's things in life that we do that's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience, whether you call it a, a bucket list or things like that. There's things that we check off and we say, I've done that. And then, and then chances are we're not ever going to do that again. But then there are other things in life, just by the natural order of living, by the way God designed it, that there is a, we always keep coming back to these things. Some are good, some are not good. And when the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it's a short verse. In the New Living Translation, it says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Brother Lawrence, in the book Practicing His Presence, says there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Now, how I understand a continual conversation with God is not a conversation that, that never stops. It's just ongoing without, without any, any breaks because I'm not sure I can figure out how to do that. And Brother Lawrence in his book, Practicing His Presence, talks about some things like that. But for me, the way I understand it and the way that I think what God intended when he said, never stop praying, is that it was something that we always keep coming back to. That prayer is not supposed to be one of those things where we say, okay, I've done that. I'm moving on to something else. That prayer is supposed to be something like eating like breathing, like words of affirmation to people that we love. We just keep coming back to it over and over and over again throughout our lives. For some of you here tonight, if prayer is going to increase by way of a volume, then it needs to happen with a greater degree of frequency. For you, it might not be that I'm supposed to pray longer. It's just you're supposed to pray more often. That There's this idea of, of don't stop praying. That throughout your day, just keep coming back to it in moments that come. And, and, and if, you, if you let this listening ear, right? Don't you love that Jesus continually said, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Develop this listening ear for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You will be surprised at how many times the Holy Spirit will just invite you into a place of prayer. It might be for a coworker. It might be that you're riding down the road and a car passes you by and you just feel this compulsion. I'm supposed to pray for them. You don't even know, know what it is. That there's this idea that, that, that he keeps bringing you back to this place of prayer because we're called to be a people of prayer. Because prayer does something. When we do it, it changes us and we believe that prayer moves the heart of God. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, you find this great conversation where Adam and Eve, they've eaten fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to, and God comes into the garden, and, and he asks Adam, where are you? God didn't ask Adam where he was because he couldn't find him. They weren't playing hide and seek, but because he wanted Adam to understand the gravity of his spiritual geography. I want to read that again. Because he wanted Adam to understand the gravity of his spiritual geography, prayer is a place. So on July 1st of 1963, the U.S. Postal Service released a finalized list of accepted two-letter state abbreviations. And although state abbreviations had been in use since 1831, they had always preferred the spelling out of every state. But in 1963, but 1963 marked the year of the introduction of the zip code. And now more room was needed on the last address line for the five-digit code. Regardless of where I feel the most at home in this natural world, may it be that I always feel out of place until I return to the place of prayer. Zip code 1T517, 1 Thessalonians 517. You with me? Prayer's a place. And when we're in that place of prayer, there should be something inside of us that says, I belong here. When, if, if you travel a lot and you're away, right, you, you, when you come home, you just you feel this place, I belong here in this place. For, for those of you, maybe you've moved here recently, you can't wait to be here long enough to where you all of a sudden have this feeling of this is my home. It is a feeling on the inside that we resonate with, that we relate to. We get it when we're away, when we return to a place. And God says, hey, that should be how you are in your spiritual journey. When you have been away from the place of prayer for too long, you should feel out of sorts. When you've been away from the place of prayer for too long, there should be something inside of you that says, I can't wait till I get back to the place of prayer because in that place I feel the most at home. And if you've never prayed before, if prayer is something new for you, it's like moving to a new city. You don't feel at home there right away, but if you put some time in, all of a sudden that place becomes the place where you feel the most at home. 1T517. So we were at the men's getaway up in Westmoreland State Park, and, and uh, Nicole's husband, Jonathan Adams, was, was coming up there, and, and uh, he likes the country. Does he not, Nicole, right? His, one of his dreams is to buy a, lots of land and to live far away from people and have lots of big things to drive, right? And so, so and he already has one of them, this big truck that my car would, I, I could actually drive my car into the back of his truck. And so he drove his big truck out there. And, and so we were talking when he first got there. And he said, you know, when I was coming here, Fred, he said, I got to this point on Route 3. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you're just away from everything, right? And you're just surrounded by all these fields. And there's just, there's just there's, there's things that are growing. And there's, you can't find any houses. And he came up. It was late afternoon, early evening. So it was at dusk. And he said, you know, he said, I, I knew I was supposed to be here at a certain time. But, you know, I just slowed down. I rolled down my windows, and he said, boy, do I feel at home in a place like this. Right? You resonate with that feeling, right? That he just said, this, this, is a, this, this feels right to me. You and I should have that feeling with prayer. You and I, when we get to a place of prayer, it's not supposed to be something we get into and hurry out of because we've got to get to the next thing. It's not supposed to be something that we say, I've got to fit it into my, into my schedule today. I've got, it's something I'm supposed to check off. My, no, prayer is a place. 
It's a place where we're supposed to feel at home, and it's a place where we want to continually keep coming back to. And when we're there, it should really be just the opposite. I wish I could stay in this place. Now, I know by the routine of life and the demands that we have, we can't stay in that place, but it can become a place that we say, I can't wait until I get back there again. So I want to talk about three things. I'm probably just going to do the first one tonight, and then we're going to do the other two next week. But, but, but this is what I want to say to you. If you have any hope of the volume of prayer that comes out of your life increasing, it's going to take a heart change. For, for most of you here, you don't need to learn anything more about prayer. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go on a journey of learning. It doesn't mean we're not going to teach in the series. And it doesn't mean that we, all of us know everything that there is to know about prayer because we should always have an appetite for learning. But transformation, what I found in life, typically comes not through learning, but it comes through a heart change. It's, it's my heart, now, it might be learning that helps my heart change, but if the learning that I do and the information that I gather, if it's not impartational and transformational, that usually does not result in any change in me. And for some of you here tonight, that prayer is low in volume in your life. A place that you seldom visit because there is a change in your heart that's not yet come. And I hope that on this series that there's a change of heart that you experience. And the first one is this. A person that prays has a heart that loves. A heart that loves. So we're talking about affection. When I look at Jesus, I find someone who lived in a place of prayer. His mouth was filled with prayers to God because his heart was filled with love for God. His mouth was filled with prayers to God because his heart was filled with love for God. Luke 6, 45, it's a reference where Jesus says that out of the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth speaks. A person who has a heart that is in love with God is a person that prays much. A person whose heart is just spilling over with feelings of affection and intimacy for God is a person that just can't get back to places of prayer enough. Song of Solomon in the 8th chapter, verses 6 through 7. I read these verses in every wedding that I do. We just did a wedding this weekend on Friday night, uh, this, uh, uh, last night for Derek and Denise, and a precious young couple out of the Williamsburg campus. And, uh, and we read this. We, in every wedding I do, I've always included this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Who here that is married does not want those words to describe their, their emotional relationship with their spouse, right? We, 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 this, is, this is the kind of love that we want to share with each other. And if it's not, we've got a great marriage retreat that's coming up that you should be on, right? Far too often, especially in the church, this statement is used. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Well, it is a choice, it is a decision, but if, if that's all that it is for the rest of your life, your marriage is going to stink, right? Can I just say that? At, at some point, you should have an expectation for this. Now, you might be in a place of brokenness with your spouse, and, and today, love might be a, a choice. Today, love might be a decision. But the reason why love oftentimes starts as a decision and starts as a choice is because of the biblical principle that right feelings follow right actions. And so we begin by doing the right things with the hope and the expectation that we're going to feel the right thing. So if you're in a place of choosing a, a love today, you, you should have a sense of expectation. I'm going to get to a place of the Song of Solomon, 8th chapter 6 through 7. And then you turn to Revelation 19, 6 through 8. 
and you, and you find something amazing that the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle John to write. And he's writing down this vision of the end of time and, 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 and what's going to happen. And, and he has this vision of, of, of the heavens and, and the coming of the people of God, which is the church. And he refers to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the bride of Christ. Now, now think about all the metaphors that were at his disposal, right? As, as, the, as the Holy Spirit is bringing forth the heart of the Father in the writing of this great book that wraps up the, the, the New Testament, that, that all of the things, that was great timing, wasn't it, where the fans just turned off, right? I know, it's my Jedi powers. He could have said anything. He could have chosen anything to say. He could have chosen any analogy to pull in. And yet he picks this one. Let's call him my bride. Now why is that? Because of the love that he has in his heart for you and me. He, he picks this illustration because he's trying to say something to us. He picks this illustration because people from the beginning of time, and, and marriage is going to be a part of the world until the end of time, that people understand this moment where the music changes and the bride comes around the corner with their father and the groom is standing here at the front and I'm, I'm right here, right? And the groom's right here. And, and I always like to look into the audience. And you know what I'm looking for? Who's watching the bride and who's watching the groom? Because there's something to be said for watching the bride because of how beautiful they are. But there's also something to be said for just the next wedding you're at, just take a look at the groom's face. It's a beautiful sight. It was great because on Friday night at the, at the wedding, all the guests were there. And everybody was looking at the bride except for two people right here in the front. And it was his mom and dad. They were just staring at him. The mom, the tears are beginning to flow, right? Because she's just loving the look that's on her son's face. That his heart is enamored with his bride. I am telling you, God is perfect, is he not? And he picked the perfect picture to give to us of how he feels towards us. How many of you want a vision of Jesus about you having a conversation with God and God saying to Jesus, son, Love is a decision. It's a choice. And Jesus says, well, you know, this guy Malcolm, he's just really hard to love. I'm just telling you, God, if you knew him, right? I'm picking on Malcolm because, you know, he's, he's not unlovable, right? Just the opposite. So, so, but can you imagine, right? Is it the vision that you want to have of Jesus having a conversation with God about you? I just, I can't love him anymore. I can't. Have, have you been watching him, right? Have you been hanging around her at all? And God's saying, love is a choice. It's a decision. No, 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 no. Jesus' heart is overflowing with feelings of affection for you and feelings of affection for me that are beyond anything that we could ever hope to comprehend. He loves you in spite of who you are, in spite of who I am. As, as, as unlovable as we are at times in our life, love is never a decision for him because his heart is perfect and his heart is filled with affection. And then he says to you and to me, how's your heart? How's your heart in turn? Because 
one of the saddest pictures of relationships that you find in this world, and this might be the relationship that you're in, is that your love goes unrequited. It's not reciprocated. That you're in a place where your heart is overflowing with love for someone else, but yet their heart feels cold to you. Right? And Jesus says to you and he says to me, the love that I have in my heart, I want you to have that in your heart when you think about me. I want you to have that kind of heart when you think about the Father. I, I want your heart to be overflowing with feelings of affection. And one of the reasons why he wants our hearts to be overflowing with feelings of affection is because he knows that a heart that loves is a heart that prays. And when our heart is overflowing with feelings of affection, we cannot wait to get back to the place of prayer because out of the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth speaks. When I see this conversation between God and his beloved, we are reminded that prayer in our mouths always begins as love in our hearts. Let me read that again. When I see this as a conversation between God and his beloved, we are reminded that prayer in our mouths always begins as love in our hearts. This is one of the greatest reasons why worship is such a prominent part of our weekend services. It's because nothing releases feelings of intimacy like acts of expression. I want to say that again. Nothing releases feelings of intimacy like acts of expression. In Psalm 118, 24, it's the famous verse that says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and in it we will rejoice and be glad unless I'm shocked. Right? I don't have that in my, right? That this is the day. It says it, right? That this is the day that the, it's a command that the Lord has made, and in it I will rejoice and be glad unless I'm a naturally introverted person. Right? It's not in there. Now, now, your personality might dictate the degree to expression that you might get to, but all of us have to cross the threshold. All of us have to cross the threshold. All of us have to cross the threshold of engaging in expressive worship. You, you cannot read the Psalms with an honest heart and not see the place that we're commanded to step into of outwardly expressing our love and affection for the Father. Now, what that might look like to you might not be as expressive as other people in the room, but if when people look around in the room and they're having a hard time whether or not you even want to be here, then you have not crossed the threshold. If when people look around, and, and as they look around, they have a hard time knowing whether or not you even have any feelings of affection, to, right, you with me? Then something inside of you has to change. There's a threshold that he asks us to step across. It doesn't matter whether or not we like the kind of music, the volume level or the song that's being sung or the transition from this song to that song. Is any of that written in Psalm 118.24? And the rest of Psalms gives us the model of what it means to rejoice. And there is a place of outward expressive praise. And one of the reasons why we're supposed to step into that place is because God knows that Acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. If, if you have a prayer problem in your life, you have a love problem in your life, and if you have a love problem in your life, you have a worship problem in your life. If you want to pray more, worship more. Because worship releases feelings of affection in your heart like few other things do. And when your heart begins to overflow with feelings of love and affection for the Father, then you cannot get back to the place of prayer often enough. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up.
they're coming up, I want to read out of 2 Corinthians. First, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to use this again next week because it really ties in with our, our, our last of the three heart changes that need to happen. So tonight, again, we're talking about a heart that loves, affection. So the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reaches into the, to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, that is what Scripture meant when it said that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to read that again. No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and the reason why we're hitting that and we're going to hit it again next week is because if you're familiar with that chapter in the Bible, it ends up getting to a place of talking about the mind of Christ. It's the famous verse in the Bible that says that we have the mind of Christ. And many of us are familiar with that, but, but we're drawn to that because that is the part that's popular. That's the part that's taught so much, and it should be popular, and it should be taught. But it's taught, it's supposed to be taught in the context of the rest of the chapter. And the beginning of this teaching about the mind of Christ begins with the heart of the Father. In fact, I would say to you, which I think Paul was trying to say to the church of Corinth, you have no hope. I have no hope of having the mind of Christ until I at first have the heart of the Father. This idea that, that the mind is, the human mind is not capable of, of, of imagining the goodness of God. But as you read through this, this, this second chapter, and I hope you maybe you spend some time with it tonight before you, you go to bed and you read through it, it talks about how the Holy Spirit searches the heart of God and then makes his heart known unto us. And you know one of the things that you're always going to find in the heart of the Father? is a deep and abiding affection for you. And do you know what God is hoping to find in our heart? Is a deep and abiding affection for Him in turn. Because when we have a heart that loves deeply, we have a mouth that prays loudly and often. And when we capture the heart of God, we begin to walk in this place of having the mind of Christ. And then in moments where we feel like we're missing a shoe and we feel a little discombobulated, we can rest in the hands of of a sovereign God. Stand with me. Father, as you look into this room tonight, you, you, you know how many circle drawers might be in here tonight. And for some people, their circles are too few. That the place of prayer is a place they go to too infrequently. maybe that the circles they're drawing are just too small. You're going to take them on a journey of helping them to dream a bigger dream. That for all of us here tonight, God, that you're giving us an invitation. Hey, this place of prayer, the 12517, keep coming back there until it feels like home. And when it does, be quick to return.
as a priest and he has a vision and the angel says hey you and your wife Elizabeth you're going to have a baby that's a, a sermon for another time and a much longer story there's great lessons in there and he doesn't believe and so he's not allowed to talk until the child is born and, and, and then when he begins to speak for the very first time there's a, there's a prophecy that comes out of his life it's a song I just got to believe, I'm just reading into the story a little bit. I think this song has been building in his heart for nine long months. And he just couldn't wait to get it out. And this is in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 76. And it says, and you, my little son, you got the picture, right? He's holding this child. You, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist is his son. And you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, here it comes. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. Father, I pray for all of us here tonight that we would live in this song of Zechariah. That this sentiment of his heart that he declared in this prophetic song over this great prophet, his son, John the Baptist, this idea to live with an expectation all the days of our lives that heaven is about ready to break in on us. That even if we're in a dark place, that even if we're in a place of questioning, that even if we're in a place of uncertainty, even if we are in a place of despair or even anger, that all of those feelings right now in this moment would be displaced by an anticipation, by a faith, by a belief that heaven is about ready to break in on us. And we would live in that place looking out into our tomorrows, believing that you are good and that your heart overflows with love and affection for us. And then you would find those feelings in our heart in turn. And we just couldn't stay away from this place of prayer. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.
Thank you. 